Restoration Church podcast, Behind the Sermon, where we get to sit in on a conversation between our pastors to hear about what they are learning, what they are teaching, and what God is doing throughout our church. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Behind the Sermon podcast. Uh, This is Pastor Nate, and I've got two uh, summer camp representatives with me today. Travis Nicholson, who you've heard before, who's preaching next week, the district youth director. Say hi, Travis. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And then our summer camp speaker on Sunday from church to this uh, church on Sunday <laughs> is uh, uh, Aaron Holt. Aaron, say hello. Hello. Good to be on the podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming and speaking at Restoration and obviously speaking at camp all week. Um, it was so good. Um now, I want you to connect me some details about that Christmas tree story. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Here right. we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> it, it is a true story. I, I really didn't make it up. And <laughs> so it turns brown. Like, what, like t- how long did it take your wife to figure it out? It, it, was, it, it was just a couple of days after Christmas when it just, I mean, it just, like, when it started turning, it turned fast. And then and then she was, she was suspicious at that point. And then... Uh, uh, and so it was like, okay, what what is going on? And then at that point, the pressure was on. Like, okay, this is something something's wrong here. My husband's hiding something from. At me. least it made it you know. through. It did, man. It barely. Yeah. Like barely. The the biggest question I have when 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 you're telling that story is, was the car clean? Because like it like like if you had it on top of your your truck, like did the top get clean? I, I mean, I think the car smelled very um, like. Pine. Pine fresh? Yeah, pine fresh for a long time after that. (laughs) (laughs) I was so panicked. I couldn't believe it. I mean, but but like as I told the story, it is literally how it happened. I didn't even think of it. I went through the car wash, I got back on the highway, and and I I I don't know. In my mind, it feel it felt like it was at least an hour before I all of a sudden remembered and I'm like, (laughs) oh my goodness, like what what did I just do? Like this is Yeah. And that's why you buy a fake one. No, no, I don't agree no. with that theology. That's, yeah. So Don't, don't try to introduce the dark <laughs> the side solution, into this podcast. No. The solution to every American problem isn't a petroleum product. <laughs> All right. Preach, Pastor Nate, preach. So American of you. What can I say? I'm a proud American citizen. <laughs> That's why I buy a fake tree with the lights already built into the branches. Dude, and it's it's already, a game changer. It's already frosted white for me. It's you know? a game changer. If you, I guess you have a house now, but how could you ever have a fake tree when you live in an apartment? There's no place to store them. Um, yeah, well, we we did have a place to store it. Just in the back of your Prius? Yeah, but... You but leave it there all imagine, long, like imagine you lugging... With, <laughs> with summer camp yeah, food with, leftovers? Yes. <laughs> You just let it set up all year, didn't you? That's what you did. Uh, I, yeah. I would have. Yeah. Hey, true story. True story. My um, uh, Some people from the church, his his grandmother owned a house on Long Island. She kept her fake Christmas tree up all year long, all year for decades. And every she would decorate it for Halloween. She would decorate it for Easter. <laughs> no. She would decorate it for Valentine's Day. No. I I, know, yeah. I think that's I mean mm-hmm. I want to say it's common by no means but I do think like there are people that do that they well they leave their light their house, the lights on their house up all year long too and then they just yeah. what's wrong with that did you you guys ever hear the article um, <laughs> I, I, I there's no Christmas spirit in you Travis no I don't, I don't <laughs> like Christmas did you guys ever read the article someone whose son didn't come home from Vietnam and they left their Christmas tree up 
because oh. they just kind of got stuck there. But like it was like miraculously the tree never turned brown. It was a real tree. Yeah, I remember reading that article. I have to try to find it. What like yeah, I'd be interested to know like did that tree end up like taking root in the house? Like, <laughs> I mean, eventually, right? Like, like something like that would have to happen. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, one year we threw our Christmas tree out in the lawn, and then in August we'd burn them. Well, in August it was still green. It was like it world. hardly would burn. It was like I don't know. <laughs> I thought this tree would last forever. I mean, it got a, it got a clear coat treatment on it. Yeah, I was going to say that's right. probably killed it. I'm sure it probably yeah. is. But, <laughs> but in my, I'm thinking it should have preserved it, right? Right, it's, exactly. It was like uh, if you clear coat your skin, you can't you can't sweat, so you die. Ooh. Yeah, or Christmas tree. So, guys, talk to me about summer camp. Obviously, we had a bunch of teenagers there. That's the one you were at, Travis. Was that both kids and teens? Um, any testimonies that you guys have heard from camp? Do you want to share? I know I didn't tell you I was going to ask that, but I mean, there's there's several. Um, I think on on both ends, kids and teens, the. My biggest hope when it comes to camp, um, and it's a bit of a callback to uh, Aaron's last message at camp um, when he's talking about your lifespan and when you look back. And, and my biggest hope for camp is that, you know, when these kids get older, when these teenagers get older, they they get to a spot in their life and, and it's dark and it's hard and it's painful. But they can look back and they can say, you know, these three days that I spent in Plymouth, New Hampshire, in Rumney, New Hampshire, those three days those are full of light. Yeah. Those are full of joy. Those are full of hope. And it just gives them that, that bit of glimmer, that bit of hope to, to get through whatever it is they're, they're going through. And I think for a lot of these kids and a lot of these teens hearing where they're coming from just broke my heart, but hearing their excitement to go home and say, I can change it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can be the difference. I, I can, you know, the, the, the alcoholism, the, the abuse, it stops with me. And hearing that from so many of them, you know, just brought me joy because mm -hmm. typically kids are crying. You know, the last day of camp is a, is a fearful one because for a lot of them, they do have to go back to these situations. Yeah. But it was different this year, all of them. I, I don't know of any that were, were scared to go home. Many of them felt empowered and ready to, to go back and change their schools and change their home lives and, and make a difference. It's wild to hear you say that because I wasn't even plan on doing that message right that was like 15 minutes before service mm -hmm. you know i'd spent all day prepping something else praying something else and um and i've done that message before you know but um yeah it was like 15 minutes before, before the service and i just felt like god was just like nope that's not the one you know and and um then i had that and i always have the tape measure with me and mm -hmm. I mean, that's like my sixth tape measure because I like leave them laying everywhere and they get broken. It's so funny. I think. My favorite was... Uh, I go order another one on Amazon. It's like, you've already ordered this five times. Let me explain times. the illustration first. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron had a probably 150-foot tape measure and yeah, he had foot, it yeah. dragged out around the room to 90 feet long to represent your life. So every foot was a year of your life, every inch a month of your life. Yeah. And then had a... A 16 year old boy standing at his lifespan mm -hmm. thinking through a hard time you know for him was at foot 15 yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and then talking through the um the amount of life left and the opportunity we have yeah and i think we that. get 
we all do this. We, we, all three of us probably did this when we were teenagers, but I mean, you just, you, you wear the blinders, you get stuck in the here and now. And, and to hear you say that testimony of kids feeling like, okay, I'm going to make a difference. It's going to end with me. I'm going to leave a better legacy for my family moving forward. Uh, that's, that's what it's all about. Right Absolutely. There. And we have to help kids see that, right? Because, uh, because everything in society today is about stay young here and now, you know, instant gratification, you know, that's what social media has really even taught us even more. So, right. You know, post something instant likes, instant gratification, all that. And to help a student like widen their view and widen their perspective and try to think more generationally. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Which I think is biblically how God thinks. Right. Like, man, to, if you can get a kid to start thinking that way, then, then I don't look back at camp from a, oh, I wish I still had all the same spiritual feelings that I had when I was at camp. I look back at camp as I remember how faithful God was to me when I was at camp. And that, that encourages me and reminds me that he'll continue to be faithful to me, right. albeit maybe in a different way, but he'll continue to be faithful to me. And I, I still have a lot of life ahead of me. So let's make the wise decisions. Let's make the wise choices. Let's move forward, especially if they're coming from a broken family you know, that's the opportunity to change legacy and right. establish new legacy. If they're coming from a, a great family, and this is what I say to my kids a lot, because I, I was, my, Julie and I both feel incredibly grateful that we, we both had godly parents and they're in their both, both sets are still alive and they're still like investing in our life, you know, in so many different ways. And, um, but I say to my kids all the time, like, don't break the chain, <laughs> you right. know, like you've been given something that a lot of other young people your age haven't been given. Don't mm-hmm. take it for granted. You know, you got to continue, you know, uh, continue the legacy. Yeah. And I like, even for like me sitting there and you know, I was, I was up near the front. And so when the tape measure came around, it just kept like, like I, I felt Joking like, you. <laughs> yeah, I felt like if I moved just one inch, I was dead. It's gonna like I was just going to cut my throat. Um, but like right there was, was 31 mm. and which was my age. And so like I could it all s- ends here, that's yeah. that's 31. <laughs> but that's wild that it just happened to be your age. Yeah. Like, come on. That's, Cause, cause, yeah. Well, cause like at some point in the message, I was like, where am I at on this? And so I'm looking at, I'm like, Oh, I'm right here. And so I was able to look and it's like, holy cow, there's still so much tape measure left. Yeah. You know, like it, it kept going around the room and, and just thinking like, uh, cause I look back at the past 30 years of my life and I think, man, God's done so much. Um, but it's still a, a, a small part of that full tape yeah. measure. And granted, we don't know. You like, you, no. you know, we don't know if, if we're going to live to be the full 90 feet or 90 years of our life. Um, but the potential is there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think for the, I love that illustration for personally because and I'm 48 now, mm-hmm. right? And so I could stand at a bunch of different numbers on that tape measure that represent really difficult seasons. Absolutely. And so it means a lot to me, even when I'm preaching it, like I'm, I'm a man, I'm remembering his faithfulness during stuff that I felt like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't know, you know, like how, or, or how, like sometimes you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Then other times you're like, I'm going to make it, but I just don't know what, what shape I'm going to be in once I, yeah. <laughs> once I come out the other side. And, um, and so the, just that constant reminder, I think is good for all of us in every season of life. Mm-hmm. The, um, talk to me, you, you mentioned your kids, so you've got three kids, right? Yeah. And, and a daughter-in-law and a grandkid. Yeah, and a daughter-in-law and a granddaughter who will be one next month. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Come on. So 
you and your wife both had godly heritage. Yeah. Your kids, you, you had one traveling with you this week, one who works with you in yeah. ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, how have you helped, how, you know, from, from a dad to a future dad and, and I've got four kids of my own. How have you helped them follow the Lord? Like mm. what, what, is there any thing that you guys learned from your parents or just that you, Hey, we didn't know what we were doing, but this seemed to have worked like looking back on hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, real practically, um, with my son, um, when he was about 11 or 12, um, I found the courage to start normalizing conversations that typically would be awkward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like sexuality, pornography, all of those things that are prevalent in the life of, of all teenagers, not just teenage boys. But, um, but I, I just like, I love my mom and dad, but my, my, that was a generation that felt really awkward talking about those things. And so like, my conversation with my dad was like, Hey, here's a book, read it. If you have any questions, let me know. (laughs) And I was like, I had done enough youth ministry, had been a youth, youth, youth pastor for long enough when, when Caleb was, was coming into his teenage years that I was like, yeah, that approach isn't going to work. And, um, and maybe I felt a little more comfortable just because of having been a youth pastor for a while, but we normalized conversations that, um, could have been awkward. And so then all through his teenage years, it was actually very normal for me at any time we could just be riding around the car and I could be like, Hey, so how's things with you? How you doing with porn? You know? And that wasn't like a, Oh my, Oh my goodness. Or I'm going to get, if I, if I'm honest right now, I'm going to, my whole world's going to come crashing down. Right. And so there was throughout his year, teenage years, there was many times where he would be like, yeah, actually I'm really struggling right now. And I, and then it was like, cool. How can I help you? You know, and so then we would just, okay, okay. It sounds like you might need to get rid of that app on your phone or, or maybe, maybe you need an, you know, we need to limit your time or, you know, whatever we needed to do filters, all that kind of stuff. And then there's other times where he would be like, actually, I've been doing really good. Like I haven't looked at anything for a long, long time, you know? And, um, so with him, I think like that was kind of the father son strategy there. My wife is trying, has tried to do the same thing with the girls, like just, just normalize the conversations because, I think what society and culture teaches kids ultimately is you can't really have certain conversations with your parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously that's a trap from the enemy mm-hmm. because, because now we're basically handing over the discipleship of very important areas of our kids' development to their friends, yeah. to, to an, a random person on social media. Like, okay, this, there's no wisdom in this whatsoever. Right. And so parents have to have to take back the narrative and, and, um, and, and view yourself, um, view yourself as a navigator, a navigator of all the difficult conversations. So like, I never viewed my conversations with Caleb in, as in like, I'm going to solve this issue for you once and for all. Right. Right. I viewed myself as I'm helping you navigate through something that every young man goes through. And we can talk about this anytime. And because I'm your dad, I'm, I'm your biggest fan and I'm going to be your biggest supporter and your biggest cheerleader and yeah, I'm going to help you create some boundaries whenever I need to step in as a parent and do that, you know, but like a, a lot of parenting is kids view it as like, I don't want to tell them the truth because I'm just going to get disciplined. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not to say that discipline isn't a part of parenting because it is. Um, it's just that I think we have to, we have to take back the narrative and make our, and make our kids feel so safe and secure that they feel like I actually can talk with my parents about anything at all. Um, so funny story, right? Because 
Um, then my, then when Caleb got older and he was um, 17, uh, 16, 16 or 17, he wanted, he wanted to date a girl in the youth group. And uh, so we were, we had always, you know, we were very much against dating. Like we've kind of like, you know, try to hold him off as long as possible and whatnot. And um, so he was, you know, he was like, yeah, this girl, blah, blah, blah. And so, and we're trying to hold him off, hold him off. And eventually he says this to me. He was like, well, it's fine, dad. You know, like I get it. If you don't want me to, to date when I'm a teenager, I totally understand. And I will respect that. I guess, I guess that just means that, you know, when I go to college and I start dating that my college roommates will teach me how to date since you won't be around at that point. And, you know, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, he's so, so smart. He's like, he's like, he's like using all my parenting against me right now. He's like, I, he's like, I just figured like if I'm here in the house and I'm dating, then you could coach me through just like you've done all these other issues. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, and not so, wrong. Yeah. Not wrong. Not wrong. And so, um, so he did and we let, we let him, we let him and, um, and that, you know, we were, we were able to just be there as parents. And so that's what we've always tried to do with our kids. It's easier with certain kids. Um, uh, Emma, who's traveling with me this week. I mean, she's my talker. I mean, so we just talk nonstop. I mm -hmm. mean, so even yesterday when we drove down from camp down to, down to here, I think we talked about end times theology for like an hour. <laughs> right. Cause awesome. I mean, she's just my talker. She's just asking yeah. questions about, you know, whatever. And, um, and, and, and our youngest, I mean, she's, she's, she's quiet, you know, she's just, there's a lot going on inside of her. You can tell, but you know, she's quiet and she's your typical, like ask her, ask her teenager, ask her a question. Like, yeah, Is that it. <laughs> How was camp? Is, uh, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Glad I spent a lot of money on that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so personality obviously comes into play too. Um, I, I think the other thing, um, that like the journey of life has taught us as parents, um, I, I was really like, we had the privilege of serving as youth pastors at the same church for almost 16 years. And so that was the only church our kids knew at that point. Cause you know, that Caleb, we moved there when Caleb was two. And so, you know, it's all he remembered. And then the girls were both born there. When we would transition from that church, it was a really difficult transition. It was really painful. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened, you know, in the, the year prior to us leaving and that led to ultimately us leaving. And, and, um, and I remember feeling like, um, boy, this is going to destroy my kids because my, my thought as a parent was the best possible spiritual development plan for my kids would be if they had the opportunity to grow up in the same church their whole life. Right. And, um, and obviously that, like at that point, it, that wasn't going to happen. You know, the, the decision wasn't, wasn't mine to stay. It was decision was made for me to leave. And, um, so that was a whole new season of parenting for us. Like, okay, how do we parent our kids through this? And, um, and we learned a lot during that season just about um, allowing our kids to see the right amount of, of spiritual pain and turmoil, like not more than what they're emotionally prepared to handle, but enough so that they could see my mom and dad are going through a really difficult time, yet they're still being faithful to God. Yeah. Right? They're still serving God. They're still being, they're still being honorable to, you know, the church and leadership and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I, we got through that and we saw our kids actually blossom during that time, kind of almost what we preached, what I preached about this morning about pruning. Right. And, you know, we, we got through that pruning season and we looked back and we're like, wow, God actually used this really terrible situation that we would have never signed up for. And we would never want to go through again, although we, we have actually, but like um, we would never want to go through it again, but God actually used this to produce more growth in our kids than if we hadn't gone through it. Right. 
And, and part of that was the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom on what to share, what not to share, what to show, what not to show. There are things that we went through during that season that I didn't tell my kids about until three or four or five years afterwards. And then there are things we went through that they were fully aware of and they watched us, by God's grace, handle it, you know, in a godly way. And it actually strengthened their faith. And And the, the older ones uh, have said that to us on occasion over the last couple of years. They've said, like, our memories of watching how you guys handled that difficult moment in your life really solidified our faith. And I think there's there's principles there for all of us as parents, regardless of whether you're a parent that's in vocational ministry like I am, or you know whatever your vocation is. Like, right there are there are difficult seasons that we'll go through in life, and your kids are watching. Bottom line, absolutely, they're watching, and you're modeling something for them that's probably going to uh, sow some pretty deep roots in their life, one way or another. Your stuff is getting sown. Yeah, I think our the kids camp speaker. And there was a teenager, not from our church, who had probably a similar story. So with the kids camp speaker, when she grew up, her dad was a deacon at the church, but he was abusive at home. And so that messed with her faith quite yeah. a bit. And then a teenager at teen camp, the mother is an alcoholic, but also a leader mm-hmm. at the church. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you, you know, they're going to obviously really struggle with rejecting Christ because they yeah. just live among that, and that was but that's my mom and dad's faith. story. That's my mom. And I shared a little bit about my dad's story at camp, but that's my mom and dad's story. My dad, you know, my, my grandfather was a leader yeah. in the church and had all sorts of abusive things happening in the background. And my, um, my mom, you know, had parents that were verbally abusive in particular her father. And so they would tell you that when they got married, they realized right away, just even before they even started having us kids, me and my two older sisters, they they came into marriage with a lot of baggage and a lot of pain and a lot of really bad patterns for how parents, how to communicate with one another. And they realized then as they started, you know, having a family, like if we don't change this, then we pass it on to the next generation. And so they would tell you, we work, they worked incredibly hard. Their first, you know, like five to 10 years of marriage, um, especially as when we were as kids were really little, like working through those things, knowing we're basically setting up our kids for at least the opportunity to have a better right, you right. Know, future. I mean, free will is free will. Every, right. You know, kids are going to decide what they want, but at least the opportunity as opposed to kind of like the death sentence of you're going to deal with this because I dealt with this and I actually didn't deal with it. So I'm passing it on to you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my wife, her dad was alcoholic, so she determined I'm, I'm not going to drink and I want to marry someone who doesn't drink, so you just look for someone with AG credentials. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, a little bit of safety here. Maybe yeah, can, back you, can you show me your, uh, your, your AG card, please? I wanna, is it renewed? Are you up to date? Have you checked all the boxes in your application? You know? So a couple of, so youth pastor question. All right. So you guys dig back into your, into the recesses of your mind. What is the, what is the most annoying things parents do in regards to their children's faith or like the big mistake that they do or trap that they do? Like, easy, easy. This is my biggest pet peeve. Always has been, always will be. When parents ground their kids from, <laughs> from church. church. <laughs> from youth I was group. hoping you'd say that. Yeah. You know, like it just, it makes zero <laughs> sense. It's like, hey, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is something your stu- you, you know, your teenager enjoys. Like, I understand why you want to like kind of take that away from him, but this is the thing, like whatever issues you're dealing with in which that student was grounded, we can help with that. You know, like this is the place for them to be, but rather you want to take them out of it. And what happens is, and and at least in my experience, is when a student's grounded from youth ministry, depending on how long they're grounded for, they may never come back. Yeah. You know, because they lose that consistency. They lose that rhythm. And then it's, it's done. Yeah. In the same vein, it's, it's for me, it was always the parents who, um, expected, you know, youth mystery to be like magic beans. Yeah. And, you know, I sent my kid for a whole month and, you know, and, and then they're gone. Right. So, so ultimately it's the parent who doesn't prioritize like their, their student or their young person's involvement in church and attendance, you know, and, um, that always drove me crazy as a youth pastor. And then, um, and then I became a parent of a teenage daughter who did not want to go to youth group when I was not a youth pastor. And I remember like, oh, this is hard actually. You know, like this is this is harder than I thought. And uh, and we like, I mean, it was like the first year, this was just a couple summers ago with our youngest daughter. We, we know we had moved back to Pittsburgh. So it was new church, right? And I'm telling you for six months, every Wednesday night was a fight. Like, I don't want to go. I don't have friends. It's dumb. It's boring. I don't like them. I mean, just every, like whatever, you know, she could think of, you know, and uh, I have so much homework to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I just remember like saying to Julie, like many times in private, I'd be like, we are not becoming those parents. We're not doing it. Like I can't, I can't be like quote unquote, retired youth pastor or, or a guy who's coaching other youth pastors and then privately be like, yeah, I don't even make it a priority for my daughter to go, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, I get it. Like now I get it. Like I didn't probably get it when I was a younger youth pastor. Um, but now I get like, it is hard. It's hard. There's, you know, as a parent, you get exhausted. You're fighting against a ton of different things in your life. And then you're fighting against a ton of different issues every day with your teenager. And at some point as a parent, you decide, I'm just going to pick and choose my battles. And I just don't have the emotional energy to focus on that one anymore. And what most Christian parents will say uh, to themselves to kind of like make themselves feel okay with about their kid, not being involved in a youth ministry, like a, like a, like a Wednesday night youth service or going to camp or whatever. Most, what they'll say is they're like, well, at least my kid comes to church with me on Sunday morning. So that's good enough. Right. Right. And we would all say as veteran youth pastors and, you know, we would say, ah, it's no, not even close really, because you have so your kid has so many influences in their life. And what you need to be doing is, is being very strategic about godly influences and godly mentorship happening in the life of your kids. It's back to your parent question a minute ago, Nate, just this kind of spark in my memory. One of the things we did for all of our kids when they were younger is we, we would actually approach different people in the church, different young adults, or sometimes older teenagers that were really grounded in their faith. And we would just be like, Hey, would you come and hang out with my kid? Hmm. Like, and, and I'd be like, like, I remember the one, he, one of the guys is a pastor now. His name was Joe. And I remember when Joe was like a junior or senior in high school and Caleb, our son, he was like a sixth grader or something. And so there's this gap there. Sixth graders look up to the, you know, Absolutely. Kids. and Joe was a really solid young man. And so I remember like one day, I'm like, bro, would you come hang out with my son? Um, just like just come over the house, do some stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'll pay for everything. I'll pay you if you need me to pay you. Just don't tell them that I made you do this. <laughs> you know, like act like you're really interested or whatever. But um, 
So we kind of stacked the deck that way. And what, and ultimately what we were doing was we were just trying to put godly mentors and examples and influencers in the life of our kids mm -hmm. and be really strategic about it. Instead of just hoping that it happens uh, or maybe even just praying that it happens, we're like, we're going to hope and pray and actually work hard to go out and find a person um, because we know that our kids need other godly voices in their life in addition to ours. Mm -hmm. And that's what you miss out on as a parent. If you're not involved in local church youth ministry, you know, like you, you miss out on that. So if that's you and you're listening, I would say to you, like, like you better be a pretty amazing parent if you're going to be able to single-handedly keep your kid from all of the influences that the world has to offer. You know what I mean? Like you, like that's you need you need right. uh, an entire spiritual and faith community now. I think to really raise kids in Absolutely. a godly way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be many, many. Yeah. Uh, who's the um, the weird guy, the exercise guy with the perm? Uh, Richard Simmons. Is, is that, that who is, it is? I can confirm that. I just wanted him to say it first because I, <laughs> oh I, just, God, I feel like it's kind of out. embarrassing that he knew so quickly I, who I, it was. I, so. I saw this morning. I, I heard Richard Sherman. Like, but they're really, but no, Richard Simmons. Um, I saw a meme this morning of Richard Simmons sitting like he always sits with his arms around William Shatner, and it said, "My kids and." Uh, in, in their influence from their favorite like YouTube star. Mm -hmm. yeah, so they're yeah, like yeah, all yeah. infatuated. Yeah. I had a conversation with one of my kids a couple of years ago. He started arguing with me about, it was about an animal or something like that. And well, the YouTube, the guy on YouTube, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I followed up with a conversation on one of our infamous car rides in my pickup truck. <laughs> like, Hey, I'm just concerned. You know, I, I care about you more than anybody else. Yeah. I want to, be the main influence in your life. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of hard stuff coming up in the future. Yeah. All right. You're 11 year olds. You're 11 years old now. There's a lot of things coming up. And on this issue, which is really nothing, mm -hmm. but you immediately know YouTube has more influence. He knows more than you. Yeah. Right. And he, that guy's wrong on this issue. But besides just, it's a small issue. We, how do we maintain that you allow me to be that main influence in yeah. your life? Yeah, and uh, you, gotta, and you have to fight for that as a parent, yeah. and that mm -hmm. and that kind of conversation is part of that fight, and I, part of that fight is also being aware of who the influencers are in your kid's life and what's happening on their phones. I mean, I used to we used to regularly read, you know, like all of our kids' text messages. Um, we did that more for Caleb. Um, I think maybe just because we realized that he needed it, but like. At that point for him, and this this lasted for him until he was 18 years old, his phone, had, he was never allowed to take his phone into his bedroom. Mm. And he always had to have to have it charged on, on like the kitchen countertop at night. And so if I ever came out early in the morning or even in the middle of the night and his phone was, wasn't there, it was like, okay, there's, there's, we have problems here. But I, but with all of our kids, we've always said to them in regards to like a phone, we've always said to them, okay, here's the rules for the phone. This is not your phone. This is my phone and I'm allowing you to use it. And right, that means right. that I can pick it up anytime I want and I can read whatever I want on it. And the password needs to never change. You're going to tell me what the password is. And if it ever changes, there's a problem. There's right. a problem. Um, and, I, and, I was, and I tried to emphasize like not just the policy side of it, but also like, like you feel like, and this is what a typical teenager would say in response to that. They would be like, well, that's an invasion of my privacy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, which is a typical cultural thing. Yep. And I would say to them like, okay, so what you're talking about then is that you feel like you should be able to have secrets. And in this case, secrets from your parents. 
So here's how we handle secrets in our family. We don't have secrets mm -hmm. because secrets typically mean I'm trying to hide something that could be a problem or could be trouble or in a spiritual sense could be sin. Right. And I'm like, so here's how it works between your mom and I. She can pick up my phone anytime she wants. She can read any text message that she wants, any email that she wants. She knows every single password. I can do the same thing to her phone. There's never, I mean, not even like, like that's just how it works. Like she yep. can grab it anytime. She can grab it out of my hand if she wants to, you know? And I was like, so that's, if you, if you want to have a phone, then you need to realize number one, it's not yours. It's actually mine. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I'm the one paying for it. Let's I mean, be real here. And you know, secondly, like we can, we can read anything we want. Um, that saved our son at one point as a teenager from a, an older girl in, in his Christian school who I think was, was kind of preying on him a little bit mm. and she was going to take advantage of him. Um, and she was trying to bait him into some stuff physically, you know, and he, I think he was only like 14 and she was like 16 or 17, you know? And so, and she knew that we weren't going to allow dating or anything like that, but she was really like, and she was sending him some pretty racy text messages at one point. And again, because we had normalized awkward conversations and he was used to us reading all the stuff on his phone. Like at one point I'm reading all these messages on his phone and I'm like, what is going on? But then I say, Hey, let's talk about those text messages from that girl. And his response was like, Oh yeah, please. Like, could you help me? Cause I have no idea how to handle the situation. So mm -hmm. it wasn't one of like, right. Oh, I'm in so much trouble. Right. It was like, thank God, you know? And we finally got to the point where he said to me, I literally don't even know what to say to her. And I said to him, do you want me to respond to it on your phone? I'll tell, I'll tell her, this is Caleb's dad. I read his text messages on a regular basis. And he's like, yeah. And so I wrote a whole text message, very long text message, very direct about mm -hmm. like what you're allowed to say to my son and what you're not allowed to say to my son and all that kind of stuff. Showed it to him. I'm like, are you good with this? He's like, yep. Sent the message. Boom. Done. Yeah. Never happened again. Yeah. yeah. You know, so again, as you were talking, you're just kind of sparking no, my memory good. on some of those random parent moments, you know, but you got it. You have to, as a parent, you have to set your kid up for more godly adult influence than just you you know, and Absolutely. your wife. And, and that, and that's even if you do have like a godly legacy in your family, because my kids have godly, godly grandparents, you know, they have godly aunts and uncles and I'm grateful for all of it. They need to know it's not family tradition. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm. You know, so that's I'm, one of the keys of summer camp. When we did, uh, when, when Caleb turned 13, we did like a little rite of passage for him, you know, as a young man. And, um, we went, we went to like this national park and we went to these different places in the park where I had kind of prepared like different, like hit lessons from history that I could turn into like spiritual leadership lessons. And at every single location, I had another one of his mentors that showed up and surprised him and like, like read a letter and spoke into his life or whatever. And so by the time I was done, it was like, here's both of your grandfathers. Here's your, here's your youth pastor. Um, the other guy that was on my staff at the time, here's, here's one of your former youth pastors. Here's the worship leader of church that you look up to. It was like this whole crew of guys. And then at the end, it, it all kind of culminated with all these men laying hands on him and kind of like, you know, speaking manhood and stuff over him as a, as a boy. And I, and I just look back at those moments now and he would say the same thing. He was like, yeah, those things formed me and mold me and put like a good godly pressure on me, you know, and I knew who my influencers were and, and, uh, we all need that. I need that. I need that in my life now. Right. I think that that need never changes for a man or a woman. You know what I mean? Like I, I, we've been through crazy stuff even in the last couple months. And I'm so grateful that I have a, a long list of people that I could text or call and just say, I just need to talk right now. I need to process something with you. Mm -hmm. That never goes away. And I think that's where it's sad as parents that sometimes we're punting on that. 
because we're afraid of the awkward conversation um, and we're not being nearly as strategic as we need to about discipling our kids. Start the conversation early and keep it going. Early and often, right? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So, isn't that what they say about voting too, early and often? Oh, that's a totally, that's a totally, different, that's a totally different podcast. I'm sorry. Early enough. You got me with the early part. The often part I had to think about for a second. Any, any marriage advice? What do oh, you guys man. do to? To stay married? Yeah. <laughs> My parents got divorced after 25. So between 25 and 26, really? they got divorced. Wow. So. Wow. I, you know, and I think that's pretty common. I think so. Yeah. Year one, year seven, year 25 are like the most common hmm. years. So you're right there. Yeah. So maybe you it's want really, us to It's interesting that you said that. I, yeah, I was going to say, because I'm in year 25. And it's been a hard year for us. It's been a really hard year for us. And we're in year seven. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think what we, what we actually are learning in real time right now is how, um, how much of a verbal processor I am with emotions and how she is not and how that has created all kinds of opportunity for tension, opportunity for misinterpretation, um, uh, you know, op opportunity for blaming one another for, you know, things and whatnot. And, um, I'm, I'm the over communicator in the relationship, you know, uh, which is probably pretty obvious, like with my profession as a preacher and everything, you know, she's the, you know, she's the processor and the thinker. Um, and she came from a family where they ignored conflict. That's how they dealt with it. They mm -hmm. ignored conflict. I came from a family that, that they ran to conflict, <laughs> you know, probably. So both sides were, were unhealthy in their own way. And so I come into marriage with like, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it right now. And, you know, she comes in with the, like, why are we even talking about this? Isn't, you know, like I never watched my parents do any of this kind of stuff. And, um, so early on in marriage, those weaknesses created a lot of hurt and pain, particularly in her because of the way that I approach things or things that I would say to her and her being a, ver not being a verbal processor is easy for her to hold on to stuff for a long, long time. And so now that in the last year we've been through, it's just a really crazy year, especially with her um, and a job that she was fired from. And just that it wasn't just like you're fired. It was like a, it was like one of these, like uh, a bunch of people rallying against you, false accusation, uh, lying about you. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was evil. It was really kind of, it was wicked what happened to her and the way that she was treated. And so um, her getting hurt that way kind of opened up all kinds of stuff, not just from that experience, but from, many years. And so, you know, we've been kind of forced to like, okay, we need to, we need to process stuff. We need to talk stuff. We need to work through stuff. So practically communication is, a, is one of the biggest things that we're continuing to work on even 25 years in, um, praying together as, as simplistic as that might sound, that has been one of the biggest things that we would point to, to say like, this has been a game changer in our marriage, mm. you know, whether it's like spending, longer amount of time praying together or just a short, like jump on a FaceTime call first thing in the morning when I'm on the road and, you know, let me, let me pray for you. Let me pray for your day, you know, things like that. Um, those have probably been the two of the biggest things that we've really the, tried to focus the on. The often disputed statistic, but like 50% of marriages end in divorce. So whether or not that's legitimate or not, the um, 
couples who pray together have a divorce rate of less than 10%. Wow. So it's like the, wow. you, you know, that, that one deliberate practice. It's yeah. almost like there's something to this whole prayer thing. Yeah. You know? Almost. Maybe. Almost. Yeah. As long as it's not we passive can, aggressive can, prayer. Right, we, can tell, right. we can tell you're not totally sold on it yet, Travis, but maybe you'll get there by the end of the podcast. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, I, I, I think one thing that you, you kind of mentioned, and I don't even know if you really meant to, but that stuck out to me is like you said, you know, you're, you're in your 25 and, and you, you guys are realizing now that, that you are a vocal processor through your emotions. Yeah. Like, so like even 25 yeah. years yeah. of marriage, even after 25 years, you're still discovering things about each oh, other. Yeah. And I think like, that's one thing, at least for my wife and I, like, that's what we love is that like, you know, I always thought, oh, after you're married for like three years, you're going to know everything about that person. But no, like you're still finding things out. You're yeah. still figuring things out. It's still. And a, we change too, you know, right. over yeah. time. I mean, you know, life, life, the challenges of life and the pain of life, you know, they do create change in us. They, they create as they should, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and even spiritually speaking, we should be changing. We should be becoming more Christ-like, right? At minimum. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the goal, right? It's salvation first and then, the, then a lifetime of sanctification, <laughs> you know? So that's gonna, going to and should affect marriage, um, how we treat one another, how we learn, how we grow. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been, um, it's, it's been amazing. It's been hard. It's been challenging. It's been good, you know, but it's, it's, it is, Oftentimes just coming back to the basics too of like, are you communicating well? Are you loving well? Um, love, love meaning what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. You know, right. versus the world's version of love, which is really lust, which is what can I get from you? Right. You know, and, serving uh, one another, serving, serving one another, you know, um, praying with one another. I mean, I, I, I again, I don't want to make it sound overly simplistic as if, um, oh, that'll, those will solve all your, all your issues. You know, I think we too, like the longer we've been married, the more we've realized, um, and again, kind of references in relation to teenagers and even myself personally, but like we need other voices in our life. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, when you meet somebody, when you meet a couple and they have a great marriage, invite them out to dinner. You know what I mean? Go get, go grab coffee. Come right. ask them, I'm ready to ask them some questions. You know what I mean? Like, like again, those Kind of, I mean, we, that was one of the common things we did with, um, when we were raising our kids, you know, like if, if there was a, a really great teenager in our youth ministry, we'd be like, Hmm, we want to meet their parents. Yeah. And once we met their parents, we'd be like, Hey, you guys want to hang out? And then we'd ask them questions about parenting. Cause we we're like, well, you're obviously doing something right. The same thing is true right. in marriage too. I just, I just, I think we just, we expect things to just happen. And even after 25 years, like that's wild to me that 25 years is like a, a mark when a lot of people get divorced, which probably empty nest. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. that's probably a big part of it. It's like my parents. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you, you stick together for the sake of the kids. And then after that's over, it's like, I don't, yep. you know, but we stop we stopped doing all the little things that caused us to fall in love in the first time, first place, spending time together, communicating, being curious about one another praying yes. together well, you, you, you jump know. into this morning's message stagnant sameness yeah so marriage is so much monotony yeah yeah um but then you end up with the miraculous 
40, yeah. 50 year marriage or, or being deeply in love, even mm-hmm. yeah. if your marriage like ends because of tragedy. Yeah. Um, but that's the monotonous working through, not sweeping things under the rug, working mm-hmm. through those yeah. complications, working through and resolving conflict, not just ending it. And then you get to that place of um, sacred sameness that, yeah. that, that God has for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 work. It's work. Yeah. Yeah. It's work. It's work in year one, year seven, and year twenty five. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's work. You have a lot more to be grateful for the longer you're together. You know, because it's you know you're grateful for the the journey and the experiences, and and you're grateful for the kids and now grandkids for us and things like that. So it's so there's fruit. Well, right? yeah, I think it's the same right. thing you talked about this morning, right? Like. You know, when, when there's moments in your marriage where you have to prune things, you're speaking prophecy to the potential of your marriage, to the potential of your family, to the potential of your, you know, your grandchildren and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, we should go get lunch. So, um, I love that idea. I gotta, so you have, I'm going to ask you if you got a book to recommend. All right. But before that. I'll give you a chance to think through because yeah. obviously it's just a huge fear of, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. what have you read that we should read? <laughs> but you have a podcast yeah. that some of our teenagers listen to. So yeah. talk about the podcast. Well, it was really cool. Right before we jumped in the studio here, I did like a little video with Brooke, who's one of the, one of your students here at Refuge. And she said to me, uh, she's like, I've been listening to your podcast for like almost two years, but I didn't know that that was you at camp. Right. And then I, then I then at camp, I heard your voice and I was like, man, he sounds so familiar. Huh? She's like, and then on the last night at camp, when you put the graphic up on the screen for your podcast, I was like, that's my podcast. <laughs> and uh, so that was really cool. So I actually, uh, she shot a little video with me. I'm going to send it to the other guys on our podcast. Cause that's going to be encouraging to them. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's called the student leadership podcast. And, um, so talk about, here we go. Talk about parenting again. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we moved to Pittsburgh, I decided that I, um, wanted to drive my daughter to school every morning, not because she couldn't take the bus, but because I thought it would create an opportunity for me to have a conversation. And remember, she's my quiet one. So I'm like, I'm looking, I'm trying to create, right. you know, conversation. And um, which sometimes is brutally painful early in the morning on a school day. Cause it's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Just dad, shut up, leave me alone. And uh, one day I was like, man, I wish there was, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, man, I wish there was like a really cool podcast that like was made for like a kid on the bus as they're going to school, 15, 20 minutes, they could just like kind of like get a little download of like good discipleship leadership thoughts for the day. And I'm like, that'd be cool. Like that would be something I would listen to with my daughter on the way to school. And the Holy Spirit was like, that's a great idea. You should do that. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I want someone else to do it. And he just wouldn't let, wouldn't let me go from that idea. And so I approached a couple of the other youth pastors at our home church and they were like, yeah, this is, we'll do it with you. And, and um, so we just finished season two at the end of this past school year you know, here in 2022, season three will kick off at the beginning of the new school year. As so we just run, you know, 15, probably like on an average, we push out two episodes a week and they're all like 15 or 20 minutes. And one's like a, uh, me and my co-host just interviewing a guest. And then, and then we do what we call an overtime episode, which is like almost like a small group of guys just kind of like talking through like what they just heard very much like what we're doing here. Just mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, like whatever. So the student leadership podcast, you know, awesome. Apple, Spotify, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Any book you want to? Oh man, it depends on what season of life you're in. But like, um, when I'm going in a uh, in the in the spirit of what what I preached about this morning with pruning and pain, 
Uh, so, uh, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards oh, is yeah. a brilliant book. Um, it's on my read it once a year book. You I know. paid my two older boys to read that. Yeah, right. That's what, <laughs> see, there you go. Being strategic as a parent. Like I would, I, d- I did that with my, with uh, my daughter, Emma, for years. I would pay her to read books yeah. and, uh, Books and, I pick. Yeah, oh, yeah. We've oh, had to qualify. I'm not paying you for No. So that that strategy actually worked really well with Emma. She I almost went broke with her. Ellie, on the other hand, like she'd be like, Yeah, I'm gonna do it and I'd go buy like, you know, books and they're still sitting on the shelf like somewhere. But um, <laughs> like I don't need that money yeah. that bad. Tale Three Kings, um The Four Eight Principle by Tommy Newberry mm-hmm. is brilliant. Uh Tommy Newberry is a is like a high level CEO fortune 500 kind of coach. Like he coaches like guys at that level, but he's, he's born here Christian. The four, eight principle comes from Philippians four, eight. Mm. So, you know, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, think on these things. So the whole premise of the book is a combination of science, scientific research he's done on the power of your brain and the power of your thinking. And then also the biblical side of, of uh, your thinking patterns, um, being able to produce joy in your life, especially if your thinking patterns are focused on like what the apostle Paul says in Philippians four, eight, think on these things. Yeah. Right. And uh, so that's brilliant. That's another one that I would just like in general say that's on my read every year list. Um, if you're a leader, uh, whether in a church leader or, or in any setting, if you're a leader and you're going through a really difficult uh, season in life, I would say leadership pain by Sam Chand yeah. is brilliant. Um, it'll make you mad. You'll read one chapter, you'll throw it against the wall and be like, I don't ever want to read that book again. And then you'll come back like a puppy dog, tail between <laughs> legs, pick it up again. But the premise of his book is that if you want to grow in influence, then God has to take you through this to the school of pain. Right. Right. So no one signs up to read that kind of book. You know, it's like, kind of like, why would I do that? And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's a very challenging book, but it's brilliant. So yeah. Level of, your, t- your, your threshold for pain is equal to your level of leadership. Yeah. That's, he says that in a book, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's good. So, um, yeah, I, I remember one of my mentors handed me that, um, years ago after I got fired and he was like, you're going to, you need to read this book. And, <laughs> that's like the last thing you want to read in that moment. Like, though. Oh yeah. Oh no. I, like I said, I literally, when I say throw it against the wall, I literally would like read a chapter and be like this. I hate this book. I want a book on leadership revenge. Yeah. Right, right. Anybody exactly. Anybody written any of those? <laughs> exactly. You know, is there, what's the book on I, I was right and I knew I was right? Yeah. You know, like, was, yeah, that was. Everyone else around me is wrong. Yes, yes. Well, oh, thank gosh. you so much, Aaron, this for being fun. in New Hampshire, yeah. hanging out with us, investing in our teenagers and our mm, church. What an honor. It was so thank good. You. Thank you. Uh, have a good, you're flying back. Have Tonight. Yeah. Flight back. Yeah. So, what an honor, though, to be with both of you guys, Travis at camp and, and Nate here at the church. And, you know, so thank you guys. Thanks Go to for the PNC privilege. Park and get a Primanti Brothers sandwich for us. Yes. There's one right down the street from where we live. They're everywhere. So yeah, that, <laughs> that is the sandwich in Pittsburgh. Right? <laughs> Some people don't like it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Me but, too. Yeah. You know, my, 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 uh, my mom and dad and my, my family, they're like, yeah. <laughs> All right. We're out. We're out. <laughs>